Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's two broad ways of perceiving reality. And one is that we live in a describable world that consists of all the things that we seem able to identify. But if you explore your experience, you can discover a completely different perception, which is no division can be found. You have no edge to you experientially. In other words, you're unbounded. You're the world. It's amazing because it, it completely flips the world upside down on its head. Everything that we thought is not true. As we get closer to the bone of what's actually here, sort of away from the oversimplified conceptual versions of it, we start to discover the vastness of it, the richness of it, the treasure of it, the beauty of it, the profoundness of it, the miracle of it. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid, subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Whoa. This week's episode is with John Aston, And as you guys know, non-duality, unity consciousness, conversations are starting to emerge here on the Inspired Evolution podcast and I for one absolutely love them. But in this particular conversation, like hold your horses because John is in that non-dual state, it seems, and he's able to talk about it. And so he actually not only discusses and describes the non-dual state of awareness, he's managed to craft over the last 30 years of, I guess, crafting this art of speaking about the non-dual state, having been in this state, 
his conversations are experiential. He brings you to, from your state of awareness, towards the non-dual state, and then will allow you a moment to breathe and pause and experience what the non-dual state feels like. This is not a conversation. It is a transmission of the non-dual state, and it's palpable on how it feels to be in non-dual awareness, unity consciousness. I can't say much more. This is not for the faint-hearted. This is for those that are willing to experience what it feels like to be in a non-dual unity state. Tune in for more. Yo! Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us today, deeply inspiring our evolution into spaces and places I think you might have never been before. John Austin. John, how are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm a pleasure to be here. John, I find myself saying Austin every time. Is it Aston? Is it Austin? How do I pronounce it's a, Austin? It's Aston, it? actually. Yeah. It is Aston. Yeah. There we go. Sorry, I'll get it right, oh, sure. and then we'll clear it up from there so everybody knows. John Aston, and for those tuning into John for the first time, he's a renowned health psychologist, author, musician, known for his contributions primarily for mind-body medicine. He's written four insightful books exploring the human experience and consciousness. He's produced CDs. His academic work includes a focus on mindfulness-based interventions in psychology and healthcare. Um, he's a professor. There's a lot of good stuff going on in there. Um, I wanted to dive in a little bit deep today, John, and just ask you about we have what you describe, and I'm, I'm going to find it very difficult. We were laughing a little bit before we started the episode because <laughs> we're trying to put words to the ineffable in some way, the indescribable in other ways, but you do an amazing job of doing so. So one of the places that I find myself finally grabbing some footing, let's start there, um, in and around your work is, yeah, starting to understand this, the cons- like the, the conversation around there is a conceptual reality versus there is reality. And maybe because I'm Indian and there's, you know, the, con- the, the, the baggage that I bring around the terms of Maya, et cetera, and the illusion of it all, um, maybe that is why I can find and grave, get a grapple on the conversations that um, you so generously afford us towards potentially describing, yeah, some of the stuff that is difficult to describe. And maybe that is already preloading the conversation in a certain direction and I'm losing the audience and I'll try not to do that. But, um, yeah, if you could describe what you mean by conceptual reality and potentially disseminate the differences between what conceptual reality is and what reality is from that point. Then. Is that a fair enough place to start in your humble opinion? Sure. If there's anything else yeah, that yeah. you feel like preloads context, feel free to, to welcome No, I, I think it, <clears throat> it highlights, you know, essentially what I'm talking about. So it's a perfect place to start. Um, I sometimes say that there's two, um, two broad ways of sort of uh, perceiving reality or, or thinking about reality. Um, and one is that, and this is the general sort of consensus reality is that we live in uh, essentially a describable world um, that consists of all the things that we, we seem able to identify and describe. I mean, even that there is a world, 
right there, we've described something, right? So right off the bat, there's all these sort of priors, you know, these assumptions that, you know, I'm a human existing in a world. That's a description. Now, I'm not saying it's has no validity as a perspective. Um, but as it turns out, by exploring what's here experientially, we can begin to discover what we might call a very different world in some sense. And it's a world that turns out to not be collapsible into any of our descriptions, that it doesn't actually, despite the power of our conceptual frameworks and our language, which sort of supports conceptualizing, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, we really do, it really does seem as if, like, I know this is a computer, you know, and I have a name for that phenomena. And I know you're, you're a human being, and I'm a human being, and we're having what's called a conversation. And, I mean, these things are just absolutely taken for granted to be truths, essentially. That, that somehow the mind or consciousness's capacity to render this what this is, essentially, to resolve what it is. Oh, it's this. It's a fill in the blank. Whether that's a, something we might say is external us to us, like the objects of the world that we think of as the objects, the phenomena that being experienced, um, or, or a phenomena that's happening, we typically think internal to us, sort of subjective states, right? Um, it seems, again, as if we're able to hear something occurring the event of what we might call the moment, and we seem able to encapsulate a great deal of it, maybe not the lion's share, but a great deal of it in our frames of reference, in our knowledge, essentially, of what things are. And as it turns out, there's something that can be discovered, which is that our actual experience deviates from all of our conceptual conceptualizations of it. Um, and if I were to put it in a nutshell, I would say conceptual frameworks and the language again, associated with, with those frameworks strongly implies that what's occurring is resolvable as something, whereas the actual experience of what's occurring reveals its unresolvability, that it doesn't actually that this that's here right now, we could say experientially, um, again, that we think of as in all the ways that we do, like I'm sitting in a room having a conversation. Okay, so I just rendered what's going on here. But the actual experience of what's going on here is unrenderable. I don't know if that's a word, but it's not, it, it doesn't actually collapse into any knowledge framework. Not, at least not, at least not definitively. And this is that this is one of the tricky aspects of this, because in some ways, the way we language, like saying that I'm sitting in a room having a conversation is kind of a accurate, in one sense, approximation of things enough so that I can say that. And you seem to have a kind of a reference point for what the hell I'm talking about. Right. Like the, like you have your own reference point and we seem to inhabit a kind of a shared existence based on these seemingly describable <laughs> Um, phenomena that are occurring, right? Um, but it's really quite remarkable to discover that under scrutiny, the frames of reference don't hold up as being capable of capturing this. 
And there's several reasons for that that we can, you know, we can talk about, of course. Um, ways to begin to get a sense of how this is the case, that, that this other perspective, if you will, what we could just say the the perspective of unresolvability or the perspective of indeterminacy would be another way to put it. That this the truth of experience is that we can't determine what it actually is. I ask this question in, in my work throughout my, my writings and teachings, you know, okay, so here's experience, human experience. What is experience actually? Like what does it consist of? What is what is it comprised of? In the same way we, we might ask what a material object is comprised of, and a physicist could explore that and delve into matter to try to determine what matter is. And there's this, by the way, very, I don't know, interesting, provocative parallel here, which is that the more the world of physics delves into the nature of matter, in one sense, the less clear they are about what it is. Isn't that wild? It's sort of like you would think the more we look, the closer we're able to pin down and resolve, you know, what exactly is there. Like, okay, I've figured it out. I've got, it's, it, it's this, this is what it is. You know, I can put my finger on it and it's like, but, but being able to put our finger on reality, whether we're talking about the so-called material world or our, our day-to-day experience turns out to be, I would say an impossibility. And essentially it's because what we're dealing with is infinity and how do you resolve what infinity is? It's infinity. It's not, it doesn't collapse into something finite and our conceptual frames of reference are finite. Yeah, it's incredible being at this juncture in the conversation already because from here there is so much that's available to us in terms of, yeah, just the challenges that we face to even articulate what is the infinite. And one of the things I, I guess, strip back to for myself is just the the profound reminder of how much of my thinking, my processing, what I seem to think is all encompassing as my experience and I'll put experience in (laughs) apostrophes here um, comes from my my languaging which is actually a technology um, and my five senses um, and how much of that is programmed to what I feel to determine what is actually present to me in the present moment. It all comes from my senses. It all comes from the language that I've got. And even I would go as far as saying, you know, touch wood, this is, you know, in this podcast, you know, people are versed with the conversation around intuition and that sort of stuff, like intuitive hits, you know, even the present moment sort of having a certain energy to it. I find it quite profound when I start to broach your work because even all of that, seems to be built upon a frame of reference. Um, And then as soon as I'm referencing something, it seems like I'm working within a limited dimensionality to what really is available to me to experience the all that is, and I don't know, again, I lose words to be able to articulate it. Well, you think about it. (laughs) You think about the word define, mm. um, 
we could say one way to understand the word is it, it's it sets the limits of what the thing is that's being defined right you you say if i were to define you essentially setting the limits of amrit like these are the limits of what encompasses and encapsulates you like defined you um and if what you are or what anything is any, any phenomena is is fundamentally infinite well you can't it has no limits <laughs> fundamentally so there's no like the minute i define who and what you are i've i'm telling a story about infinity that can't really be told you know you you defy categorization and classification and description fundamentally as does everything else and that is a profoundly you know i i'm often repeating this i'll just say it hopefully you'll say it repeatedly but i'm not really talking philosophically here i'm really a pragmatist i'm really interested in you know something about what i'm talking about having some pragmatic value in a sense for people in their lives and um you know the discovery of that what's here what's being encountered is this unresolvable indeterminate infinity is what i would describe as liberating this is free the moment is entirely free of all frames of reference it's free of all descriptions and identities and limits and utterly free it's not bound by anything it's wild in its freedom in that sense and and in its ungraspability and so you know conventionally speaking you think about you know train i'm trained as a psychologist and i don't practice clinically although i work with individuals uh, sharing you know the things you and i are talking about speaking about but and i work with people in that context not really much of an explicitly psychological context although there's a lot of relevance i believe for how people navigate what we think of as our psychological lives so the two are connected but um but you think about you know the human suffering psychological suffering you know i'm a human being and i navigate this complex world and my my complexity of my relationships and i sometimes feel overwhelmed by things and stressed by things and feel as if i'm caught in some whirlpool of worry and anxiety and um, i'm stuck in my you know my shitty life and my you know my challenging difficult overwhelming traumatizing circumstances and my my rough past which continues to you know be harmful in some sense in terms of i mean you see on and on and on and on i'm essentially describing the you know some of the parameters of what leads people to have this sense of 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 suffering in some ways right struggle and so from one perspective yes i'm a vulnerable creature existing in this potentially at every moment threatening universe and at some level you know as that seeming organism i am often on guard and braced in some way against what's happening and needing to protect and defend myself and 
worried about what's going to happen in the future. And am I going to be okay? Can I find my way? Can I, can I resolve this, that, and the other thing that's happening or might happen? And on and on it goes. And then there's what I would call the, the deeper truth of experience itself, of reality itself, which is well, what I call an individual being stuck in X, Y, or Z is actually just pure, boundless infinity. Well, wow, that has a really different feel to it, <laughs> shall we say. There's no, not, no one stuck in anything. There's just an absolute fathomless, you could call it aliveness, that never collapses into any description, ever. Even though it very much seems like it does. And that's what can be kind of tricky in all of this, because... Uh, you, you mentioned the word Maya, and it's not a word I use, but um, let's just say the sense that there's resolvable, identifiable forms that can be known, that can be named and identified, right, and, and described and talked about is extremely convincing, very convincing. So it can require a bit of openness and willingness to say, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't have the whole story here. Maybe my frames of reference might not be telling me the whole truth of what's happening right now. And in my explorations, that's exactly what uh, has been discovered is like, wow, this is entirely different than what I thought was going on in, in myriad ways, myriad ways that are, that are freeing, as I said, that are liberating. Because that was going to be one of my questions is <clears throat> why is this so important for us to recognize? But I think you've already answered that question in the liberation and the freedom that is available through. Again, I find myself butting up against language because I want to say, again, in such an awareness. And I don't want to turn this into... A lesson around semantics but maybe if i'm is it such an awareness is it an awareness um can you correct me if i'm wrong i'm actually open to yeah really hey you're inspired tribe i want to take a quick sec i wanted to share something today with you that is really dear to my heart and it's actually what keeps the entire ecosystem around the inspired evolution thriving my one-on-one coaching so it's basically coaching that helps you live a spiritually aligned life. I coach people from all different types of walks of life. That These people are leaders and they're looking to have an incredible spiritual impact in the lives that they're leading for themselves and then also lead in alignment to their values. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Here's a few people that have also transformed through my coaching and here's what they have to say. Amrit is a fantastic coach. In a few sessions, he got to a depth that I'd only experienced before working with certain medicines. And He's gone through a lot of the struggles that you're probably facing. Then my corporate banking job wasn't really doing it. You feel like you're not making progress towards your goals. And Amrit's been a really strong, supportive figure in my journey. I'm more in control of myself. I'm kinder to myself. I actually have that vision and a purpose. I do feel like I'm a better version of myself already. Amazing energy. He was easy to talk to, which made me easy to trust him. Working with Amrit at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning and really I was bouncing out of bed. Whenever I get off the calls with Amrit, best money we've ever spent. <laughs> 
I would not recommend him because I don't want everyone to know about him and then I won't be able to book him. If he gets too busy, I won't get my turn. I would say absolutely. There's no way you can work with Amrit for a period of time without being transformed. So if you're considering him as a coach, do not hesitate because you won't be disappointed. As you guys can see, there's a lot of people all over the world from all these different corners experiencing incredible transformations. I don't think if I can say humbly myself that there is anything quite like this somewhere else online. Most people that you know have channels that you know grow and grow and grow don't really focus on one-to-one -one offerings. I have just found that it is the most profound space where you can bring yourself in a private container and really just share what's going on for yourself. And if you want to book in for that call with me, touch base, it's www amrit.coach forward slash life. That's www.amrit.coach forward slash L-I-F-E. There is a link in the show notes below to book in that call. And yeah, if you want to take your journey further, if you want to dive in deeper and you really want to live a spiritually aligned life, if it's for you, please do check it out. And without too much further ado, once again, for your spirit, for yourself, today's podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Um... How would I put it? Uh, I might think of it in terms of perception. You know, the one perception of the world is, you know, here's an example. Like consensus reality is the world consists of pieces and parts that are in interaction with one another. I mean, that's, again, one of those that are just absolutely taken for granted to be true. And then if you explore your experience, you can discover a completely different perception of things, um, which is no division can be found in experience. There's no division. There's just experience. It's undivided. It's in inseparable. There's no, there's no pieces. There's everything is experience. So experience shows up as differentiated and distinct you know, one thing from the next, like the sound of my voice shows up as a phenomena right now, experientially, sound of my voice. And then there might be thoughts about the words that are being spoken, and those show up in their own kind of strange dimension. The thoughts are here about what I might be speaking about. So they appear distinct and recognizably differentiated one from the other, don't they? There's sound, there's thought about the sound. Now, notice something really interesting. That So now we have this assumption that there's two things and they're separate from one another because there, there's sound and there's thought. Cool. Well, now feel what you call sound. Just feel the presence of sound. There's a sound as a phenomena that's being felt in experience or seen in consciousness. You can say it either way. Here is sound this thing that's appearing as a phenomenon and there's thought that's appearing as a phenomenon. And as this, this presence of that's appearing of these, these two seemingly distinct things is one presence of experience, one, um, if you just even look at sound, it's not about thinking about it. Look at it. Here's a phenomena of sound. And notice that you can't find an edge to the sound. In other words, it's a seamless continuum of experience. Sound and thought, they're inseparable. 
even though they show up as distinct and differentiated. There's no, there's no separation between anything. <laughs> there's no division anywhere. Visually, you look at a visual field. You know, I'm looking at a wall and a bookshelf and a chair and uh, a couch, and I'm talking about them as distinct phenomena in the visual field, right? But I can't actually determine where any of those comes to an end and the next object begins. It's absolutely a continuum, a visual continuum. One thing, the visual field. No separation anywhere. So this is very interesting. This is an example. These are examples of how we conceive of the world as separate and our actual experience of it is undivided. There's no division in our experience. I can, I can think of you and perceive of you, it would seem, as separate from me. Okay? But you're showing up as my visual field. <laughs> you're the sound of you and your laughter shows up as my auditory field. The feeling of you, the vibe of you, the sense of you shows up as some kind of sense of you, right? So you are simply an aspect of my experiencing. From, from the perspective of experience, I only know you as experience. And you're one aspect of the vast field, the vast infinite field of my experience showing up and I can talk about you as a separate sort of isolated part of the field of my experience. But, but no, it's one field of experience. It's undivided. And, and I'm showing up as another phenomena we could say in, in the field of experience, like occurring to whatever consciousness, you know? So, so as I feel experience, this is so wild is that, I don't encounter two people here. I encounter experience, presence of experience. That's, there's no self and there's no other. There's just experiencing. But the mind, that the conceiving mind splits up into a perceiver and a perceived, in this case, you, because I'm looking at you. And there's the perceiver, me, and you, the perceived. But if I feel the perceiver, me, supposedly me over here, <laughs> I feel the perceiver. Oh, okay, the perceiver. Feeling the perceiver. Now I'm going to venture out of the perceiver to find the perceived. And what do I find? I just keep finding more and more experience. And then I hit what I might call, oh, there's the object being perceived. But it's absolutely a continuum. The perceiver and the perceived are undivided. I, I can't tell where one ends and the other begins. Oh, here's the point where I end and then you begin. Can you find that when you look from from your perspective? No, you can't find that. You can't find division. And so this is an example again of how our experience deviates completely from our concepts about the experience. The concepts tell us the world is divided. Experience shows us again and again and again that there's no separation anywhere. There's no division.
for example, look at your body. Take your body, for example. You think of your body, we think of the body as an edge. You know, it's got an edge, and the body ends, right? And then the world outside of the body begins. And this is where most people kind of feel themselves encapsulated in the body. And then the world outside of the body, right? So if you feel your body, what you call the body, you have a name for this phenomena. So now that name's referring to something. Go to that something that the name's referring to okay, as experience. Because as <laughs> you'll go, so there's a word, body, referring to what? Okay. Now I'm going to feel what it's referring to. And what do I find? Well, some people would say I find sensation, okay, that I call the body. But notice, okay, even if you do that, which is, again, another label, but because you're not experiencing sensation, you're experiencing experience with no label, just experience, just pure experience. But even if you call it sensation, then just as a for purposes of discussion, and you feel the sensations that you would say are the body, notice that the sensations are completely open. They're unbounded. There's no, there's no edge to the sensations, is there? Do you find an edge to your sensations? No, actually. <laughs> so what we call the body is, is, is uncontained. It has no edge to it, experientially. But you have no edge to you, experientially. In other words, you're unbounded. You're the world. One of my favorite meditations of yours is where we start looking for the um, the edge of the moment. <laughs> and the edge yeah. of anything, yeah. I'm consistently left wanting. <laughs> the conceptual part of me is consistently <laughs> left wanting. It's um, always gonna. It's always gonna strike out. You know, a, a baseball. <laughs> An American yeah. baseball metaphor, you know, you're always going to strike out when you try <laughs> to determine what this is, you know, because you won't be able to. Yeah. And the the edge of the body just there was really cool to feel into because, yeah, visually and sensorially there's that skin, but when I venture into experience, yeah, it's... Mm. Well, that's the thing is actually it, there's not skin there. Skin mm. is a label. Mm. there's experience there there's something there but it's not skin it's just exactly what it is but it it, it has no there's no label there is there <laughs> no there's no. no label on experience none which um brings me to i remember sitting with a um a south american elder um some years ago and and he was consistently trying to re not try well he was consistently rewiring my relationship with language in the short time that i spent with him because i would say he was is this you know i would i would um these are not the terms that we were using but i would have terms such as this is a tree this is grass this is a camera this is my desk and he would he would consistently be reminding me you call this a tree you call this grass you call this a camera 
you call this, we call this, reminding me that on some levels what you're trying to describe is just you describing something. It's in your, you know, when you label it as something, you've sort of reduced it to something finite. That's one conversation, but also your experience of it also ends at that point where you've labeled it in some, because you've sort of, it's out there and it's doing that thing that it's doing over there when really it limits the, as I'm feeling into this conversation, like the experience of, oh, I call that a tree from a conceptual standpoint, but actually I look at your work and you can probably help me correct this, but underneath it all as an experience, where does that begin and where does that end and all this entire thing as an expression of potentially consciousness. I... It's almost like moving. It's almost like moving from, uh, to use a metaphor, an artistic metaphor. It's like moving from all the images in the in the painting, to the fact that what's actually there is this absolutely incoherent, abstract splash of color, and there's no forms. None. And and actually, when you feel your experience, you can start to discover that there's no forms. This never becomes a form. But it looks like it does. Just like a painting can look like forms from one perspective. You know? Or if you take a, a kind of related metaphor, you know, you're watching a program on television. And there's all those forms. In fact, they're so convincingly forms that before you even know it, you know, you've got tears streaming down your eyes, you know, watching these forms or your nervous system is all like jacked up because it's a very exciting moment or something. And, but there's nothing there. There's no forms there, right? There's pixels on a screen. So when you get really close and you look closely at the screen from one vantage, it looks like all these people, places and things interacting and then you get up real close to the picture. You know, you go up to your television, you go up to the movie screen. And what do you see? Just pixels. You don't see forms. You see an abstract. You don't see, nothing's there formed, is it? And it, it's, it's really analogous to getting up close to your experience. What you think is a structured, formed, coherent thing, like my fear or my whatever it is that you think of as a thing that's got structure to it and form in one sense shows up structured in the same way the programs on TV show up from one vantage is very structured, you know, complexly structured. The world shows up in this incredible intricate structure and form. But when you investigate the forms and the patterns, you always find formless, patternless indescribability that's just constantly shape-shifting and never really becoming anything fixed or formed that's the sort of you could say the constancy of the flow if this is constantly flowing let, let's just for purposes of like logical argument let's say this is life is alive right it's dynamic okay so there's nothing static it's alive it's moving it's not a frozen picture like a like a still camera still it's moving right? it's alive and in its liveliness, 
it's a ceaseless flow. It's not like the flow just stops and then the moment kind of hangs out like, like, like the, just like frozen. Like I'm just frozen. I stop. No, it's, it's alive, isn't it? So in its liveliness, it's in this, we could say, process of constant flowing. And if something's constantly flowing, how can you ever hope to pin it down as to what it is and determine what it is? You can't. But it shows up as like, oh, well, there you are. You know, like I can see you, like you're kind of holding still, sort of. But as experience, when we, when we feel, this is again, you feel experience. I'm always saying this is like the sole practice that I engage with people is to feel experience. Because what I think of is like, oh, I'm sitting in a static fixed object called my room. Well, how do I know I'm in a room? Well, because I'm having an experience of being in the room. And there's this like familiar reference point to the category uh, that I call my room and I recognize it. But the actual experience that I'm having is completely like ungraspable and dynamic and ever-changing. There's nothing fixed here. There's nothing permanent here. There's nothing solid here. There's just flow. Does that make sense? It leads into one of the questions I was going to ask you today because yeah. I think even the – it does make sense. Sorry, I should answer the question. Okay. <laughs> um, and it leads in perfectly into one of the questions because yeah. um, I think even the TV metaphor that you describe is it opens up – again, I'm conscious of the language I'm using – opens up the mind a little bit because the, there is a natural – reach from the conceptual space into the space of reality into feeling that the awareness of the infinite feels somewhat empty. It's like an emptiness that the conceptual mind attaches to it. I'm not sure if that's intuitive or just, you know, naturally what it does or um, if that's even common, it just kind of maybe is just what my mind does. Um, But I think the TV metaphor is kind of great in that because it gives you, you don't necessarily lose the story that the pixels are communicating to you. Right. You just, right. there's more. Well, um, it's, it, yeah, no, I mean, it, you're, bringing up, you're bringing up an important point in observation, I would say, which is that, um, and, you know, I'm not any sort of Buddhist scholar or student of Buddhism per se, but. Uh, essentially, I'm talking about a kind of cornerstone of Buddhist thinking, teaching around this dance of emptiness and form, uh, what the Buddhists call emptiness and form. And yes, I'm essentially talking about, I'm really pointing people to the emptiness because we're very familiar with the forms, you know, like we think that's all there are. And so I'm pointing to the emptiness and, and the way that I understand emptiness and talk about it, though I don't tend to use that term for reasons I can tell you, but um what and, and i i feel this is pretty consistent with buddhism as i understand it which is that if you take any phenomena and you say okay this is uh you know the taste of sugar all right okay so that's very it's a very specific taste isn't it it's something in other words and it's distinct from another taste like the taste of salt so you've got salt and sugar. So they're, they're forms, they're phenomena, aren't they? Um, that can be encountered and experienced and recognized as identifiable and one distinct from the next. Now, if you take either one, let's take sugar, the taste of sugar, 
and and I give you a sugar cube and you taste the sugar. And then I ask you, Amrit, now, I want you to identify what, what is sugar like? In other words, you know exactly what it's like. It's sugar. <laughs> it's very specifically sugar and you immediately know it, right? So you have this knowledge of what sugar is. But then if you were to try to determine such that you could then convey the determination to someone like me as to what sugar is, what is the essence of sugar? Well, you never will. You could never, you just, you're down a bottomless well, a rabbit hole that has no bottom to it. Because you'll just find, if you investigate the experience of eating sugar, tasting sugar, you just find details and more details and more details. And you never arrive at the final detail where you've come to a conclusion. Eureka, I've discovered what makes sugar sugar, the taste of sugar. No. So here you here we are with this paradox. On the one hand, we know what sugar is. And just as we know what other flavors of life are, you know, like the flavors of joy and the flavors of sorrow. So yeah, we know what those things are. We have names for them. And, but then when we take a we just take consider the possibility that, well, let me look a little more carefully to see if I really do know what it is and I can determine what it is. And the answer is you can't. You can't find the identity of sugar. Here it is. You can't find the identity of sorrow or joy to find the essence of what it is that makes it what it is. And that's emptiness. Um, I think there's a line somewhere in one of the Buddhist scriptures that all dharmas are empty of self-nature. In other words, they don't have an identity that you can find, and that's their emptiness. Um, you can't grasp the identity. You can't know the identity. And what's interesting, though, is that here's the ungraspable, empty, identityless nature of all these phenomena, and yet it doesn't stop the phenomena from appearing to be something. Right, that's what they say in, in the Tibetan tradition. The everything, there's the vivid display of reality, the vividness of reality. Like this is a vivid moment, like appearing as all the things that it's appearing as, all the phenomena, all the colors, all the sounds, the sensations, the thoughts, the feelings, the, the visual images. Wow, it's unbelievable, right? It's just an infinite magical display, and yet the entire display is mirage-like and ultimately empty. You put your finger in it, and it's like put your finger in a mirage, and you don't find what the mirage looks like. In other words, you can't identify it, and yet there it is. And it's the same with life. It's here, but unidentifiable, unknowable in terms of the essence of what anything is. And um, this is profound to discover because none of this is what we think it is. All of this is unfathomable to the core. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Were you... Uh, how do I frame this question? When did your awareness of your own experience start to deviate? Um, did it deviate? Was <laughs> From it what gradual? I thought of everything was. <laughs> was it, yeah, when, like, were you, because was, was it just a, <laughs> were you never part of this conceptual reality? Because <laughs> um, I know that you experience conceptual reality from having followed your work, um, and yet there For is sure. this, yeah. yeah, and so, um because, yeah, it like, you know, and I, I said this at the very beginning of the episode as well, it's like the bottomless rabbit hole nature of, mm-hmm. you know, the experience yeah. period <laughs> when there's no period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's trying to grapple with finding the footholds in the conversation around that. And yet. Right, because there's know, no footholds ultimately. Yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing to grapple onto. And it's very simple. That's, the that's kind of the point is to discover that there's no footholds. Exactly. Where, where does yeah. that leave you? Well, it leaves you. <laughs> It leaves you nowhere, and yet, in a sense, everywhere. Yeah, at the same time, which at is, the same time. which is, yeah. And so, your awareness, like, is it something? Because you've been practicing meditation and mindfulness since the seventies. Um, is and part of me for dating you, <laughs> even it's inappropriate for me to do so. Um, you know, was this something that gradually, like, evolved over time? Your openness to experience and being able to, and probably modulates the wrong word between one awareness and the other. Um, and again, probably making it more finite than it is, but yeah. Or was it something, I guess, I think you get the nature of my question as I'm finding it hard to answer. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I gave you kind of a reader's digest, you know, I pretty much out of nowhere became a seeker for things like um i wouldn't even be able to exactly say what i was seeking for initially but there was just this sudden sense of looking for something else besides my so-called human normalcy that i'd grown accustomed to believing was everything you know that was true and so i found myself searching and somehow happened upon a lot of teachings that came out of the east primarily contemplative teachings and um you know, it was reading things that were intriguing about discovering the oneness of everything and that kind of sense of inner peace and realization of the deeper truth of reality. You know, something about that all was quite compelling to me. Um, even though I wouldn't really say that the search was coming so much from a place of suffering, where sometimes that is the case for people. I had a pretty happy life in many respects and kind of a lucky, you know, early life, amazing parents and 
I just happened to be in college at the time. And just suddenly this was just sort of taken by this sense of like, uh, what is this? You know, this like this exploration. So I started meditating and kind of a classic sort of Raja yoga sort of style of meditation, which is very kind of heavy emphasis on concentration meditation practices and with a mantra. And um, I struggled really, you know, with a lot of those practices, even though I kept doing them diligently thinking that was going to eventually allow me to have this breakthrough discovery of, you know, my union with the divine essentially, you know, um, which is the goal of yoga really is to discover that. And, uh, in the different forms that yoga can take and, you know, my, my interest has shifted a little bit and I, I was very interested in integrating my interest in meditation with academic pursuits when I decided to go back to college because I'd taken some time off from school and I very much wanted to kind of research and also teach meditation, but I, I couldn't do it in the yogic context that I was learning it because the teachings were sort of secret. Only the monks could teach the style of practice I was doing. And so it was sort of happenstance that I discovered that people had started researching what was being called mindfulness meditation had a lot of similarities with what I was doing. So I kind of started to explore that and got interested in researching it and practicing it, of course. And uh, I was having a similar experience, though. I really wasn't, it wouldn't really say it was leading to what I was searching for, you know, in some respects. I, I was often left a bit frustrated trying to control my busy mind and all of that. And, uh, and, so I don't really know. I mean, I don't question anything that I did. I don't regret any of it, but I, I feel like what wasn't being communicated to me through those teachings, or if it was, it was very kind of hidden in in small places in, within the teachings. This idea that what I'm looking for, what I'm searching for is actually already present. Um, I mean, just think about it, like logically in the, in the, in the more theistically oriented mystical traditions like yoga, you know, there's this notion of this the omnipresence of God, you know, that, that this God that is basically everything, you know, everything is a manifestation of the divine. And this is a very common notion, but I didn't quite put all of that together. I mean, maybe I had intuitions about it, but like, wait a minute, if the divine is everything, then it's already the case because <laughs> it's, it's the means it's every moment. But meanwhile, I was very busy trying to essentially change my experience in order to realize this divinity that was already my experience. Can you see the paradox of that? Well, you make so, it sound foolish when it's what most of us are doing most of the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, did, it for, I did it for two decades plus. So, you know, it's no, there's no judgment there. It was like, it was all... Just, uh, I mean, for one thing... No, I, I just, I'm not saying you're judging. No, no, no. I mean, Sorry, the traditions were essentially... The, the teachers that I was studying with were kind of reinforcing this, that the, many of the teachings themselves were reinforcing, like, not only, I mean, even in some of the Buddhist schools, it's like, you know, lifetimes it's going to take you mm -hmm. to realize this. Lifetimes. Like, wow. <laughs> it's not enough to meditate for 40 years in one lifetime. I got to do it lifetimes before I can. And meanwhile, wait a minute. But, but the Buddha nature and the Buddhist nomenclature is all of this. And in the more, you know, uh, non-Buddhistic kind of contemplative traditions. It's all this divinity, this sacredness. It's all God. And anyway, I just happened to be, you know, on a retreat with a, a teacher who was coming from a sort of different perspective in all of this. 
that you know was very ended up being quite influential for me and it was this, this discovery that started to dawn in the and did kind of initially dawn in a very um you know very powerful way that this presence of divinity that I was searching for and that was everything or at least I'd read about it being everything that the undivided reality um was already the case and it's what I was and it's what everything was and I was like oh my god oh my god all these years and I was looking for it somewhere else and it was what was looking from my out through my eyes what was it I think Meister Eckhart said you know we're searching for God with her eyes I mean it's such a beautiful way to put it like God searching for God which is funny Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, usually more in hindsight, because in the middle of it can feel quite torturous, you know, <laughs> you feel like something's well. missing, you feel like something's missing and you go on a search for it and it can be exasperating and you feel like I'm still not realizing what I'm searching for. And meanwhile, the seeker is the sought, you know, the seeker is what you're looking for because the seeker is made of the same thing that everything is made of. And so as all of that was sort of revealing itself to me at the time, now this is some 20 plus years ago, another piece to this, which I don't, I don't think I fully appreciated the magnitude of this other aspect of what was starting to be revealed, although it's captured in the title of my first book, which is, was called Too Intimate for Words. And that is that, yeah, all these discoveries of, you know, that I'd been reading about, like it's already here, this divinity is already here, and the, the, the union is already the case. All of that is very true. But but the, an aspect of that is also this discovery that that this really is infinite in the sense of cannot be spoken, too intimate for words. You know, the Tao Te Ching says the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao. And so if, if you look at the sort of progression of my four books that I've written about this over the years, you can see the beginnings of that understanding in that first book, even though I was still talking a lot about kind of, I mean, you really, you really do. When I've looked back, when I wrote about this in the preface to my most recent book, which is now a few years ago, I, I kind of went back through my older books and I sort of said, wow, there's this thread running through all of them. And that thread is really what I'm highlighting now, which which is what we've been talking about, which is, um, wow, as it turns out, where this has led me, this whole journey is to not knowing, actually, <laughs> to realizing this can't be known, in the sense of it can't be determined as to what it is. And um, I think over the you know, more recent years, I've been more explicitly coming to appreciate that in my own life. And that's reflected in how I talk about it now. And I really emphasize that sort of that one piece of, of it, that, that this is, um, I mean, the title of my last book was supposed to be before the publishers took hold of it, retitled it. I was going to call it, um, it's not what you think it is. Um, discovering the inconceivable nature of reality or something like that. And they retitled it, This Extraordinary Moment, which is fine because um, 
the moment is in its being beyond comprehension and conceivability, it turns out to be marvelous beyond imagination as well. So it is truly, every moment is the extraordinary moment because every moment is the miracle, the miracle of existence. Um, By simultaneously not also being where you think it is. <laughs> correct. That's right. But that's the thing, you know, you were asking about like that sense of the emptiness of like there's nothing, like void. And to kind of bring that circle to a close, and I didn't quite finish the loop about that, is that this identityless emptiness indeterminacy dances as all the richness of what we call life dances as this un unimaginable, juicy sensuous richness of, of each moment it's just overflowing with aliveness and overflowing with um, texture and qualities and flavors and infinite i mean what's occurring right now is just an infinity of things that you could never hope to catalog you know just you stop for a few seconds and you can notice that. It's just endless what's here. Endless, seemingly, what's here. And um, there's something so exquisite about it to me that this, you could say no thingness, this nothingness, no thing in the sense of you can't pin down what it is, is shines forth as this incredible display this stupefying uh, display that we call life. And yet it's empty, but not only empty. It's also very palpable, you know, very <laughs> present, you know, like, right. The sense of the feeling of this moment is palpable, isn't it? The feeling of something being here. And yet you can never determine what that is in that sense. There's not anything here. And you have to feel that to make sense of that. You know, my saying that is, you know, maybe it provokes one to take a look and see if what I'm saying makes any sense. But the place to go to find out if it makes any sense is in your experience, because that's where it makes sense. That's where you can see that this moment is simultaneously here and always here, like something's always here, and yet what's here is constantly vanishing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how weird is that, right? It's like oh, it's, it's, it's it's just constantly gone, just gone in the instant of its arising, gone. And yet something's well, always here. Given how slippery it is, when yes. you were first landing in this, did you like was it quite disconcerting for yourself, or was it were you lucky to have support? mechanisms and networks around you or was it grounding to some degree because you'd been seeking for it for so long yeah what was landing you imagine i didn't experience it as disconcert i know some people report like it was very whatever even terrifying or disconcerting or destabilizing or that was not my experience does not is not my experience um i i do think that when you feel that there's no ground you know it's groundless <laughs> Yeah. 
from within the from within the experience itself it's pure delight because it's it's true you know it's what's it has no bottom but an aspect you could say of us that you know is looking for a ground you know what it can count on a kind of stability or security or knowability and and so maybe from that perspective it feels like whoa what do you mean there's no ground you know but from within the groundlessness itself it's like perfectly it's obviously happy being groundless because here it is you know it's happy is maybe not the right word but but it's just being itself you know it's just being its infinite groundless bottomless fathomless self reality is i mean um you know like like this can't be determined it's like well again some part of us wants to know what this is right so we can get a handle on it like so i can feel security in my having a handle on reality right the footholds like you were saying and it's like well but there is no handle <laughs> so but that's not a problem why was it why is that a problem it's only a problem from the perspective of the part of us that wants a handle and then it can feel like, what do you mean there's no handle on this? <laughs> so, but that's just a concept about it. But the actual experience itself is uh, you know, it's like There's no questions there because there's nothing to have questions about or concerns about. It's just not things. You know, I'll tell you something that, that just to make sure I say it, you know, before, you know, we end our conversation whenever we do. And that is that as abstract as what I'm talking about may sound to some, and I appreciate that that can be the case. Um, it's actually concretely what we're experiencing and all the ideas we have are the abstractions, but the feeling of the moment's not abstract. Like you feel the moment, right? It's not abstract at all, but check this out. So, now, I've been really reflecting on this a lot and emphasizing it more because I, th I think it's an important sort of point to make and actually really maybe the linchpin, we could say, of all of this. And that is uh, towards the beginning of our conversation, I was talking about how this making coming to see the distinction between and you set this up, you know, as your sort of initial frame of my work accurately. So that there's a sort of how we're conceiving of the world to be and then the way the world, you could say, is actually right. That and, and coming to understand the distinction between the two, right? So maybe, arguably, and you see our language reflects this belief we have, and that is that there are things that endure over time, right? The phenomena that endure over time. Because if, if there weren't phenomena that endured over time, what would we ever be talking about? You know, we talk about things as if they're things. And to be a thing, it has to endure over time. And we take it for granted that that's the case, right? Um, my room has endured over time. Um, you know, this candle on my desk has endured over time. Uh, my ability to talk about my internal experience 
and name the experiences and talk about how I'm enjoying them or not enjoying them suggests that there's something there that's enduring over time, at least long enough for me to be able to identify it, right? And, and name it and know it, right? So there's this concept, of course, in, again, in Buddhism, very central to the Buddhist tradition of impermanence, right? And that, that, that things don't have permanence to them. But the way we tend to think of impermanence, I think, and this is sort of more dawning on me and through lots of conversations with people, is that there's something that arises, you know, that appears experientially occurs a moment, but we even have a word for it. The moment appears. And then the moment that which has appeared that we call the moment of experience or whatever transforms. That's its impermanence, right? It doesn't stay as that thing, but becomes sort of the next version of itself, right? It transforms into something else. So it's like something arises and then that which is arises transforms into something else. And then that transforms. And that's sort of, the, I think the basic sort of notion for many people when they hear this idea of the impermanent nature of phenomena, right? Again, even we have a word phenomena, which means there's a thing, it's the phenomena. And then the phenomena doesn't have permanence. I'm saying something different. I'm saying that there are no phenomena that have impermanence. That's how impermanent they are. <laughs> well, I try to explain that. So we think again that there's a phenomena and then the phenomena changes, right? That's it's the fact that it doesn't endure. What if, and I would say our experience will show us that what I'm saying is closer to the truth, if you will, and that is there's just change. There's not a thing that's changing. Now, what would that mean? Just think about it even logically. What we think of as that which is arising, it arises as something knowable. There it is. I've just discerned what it is. Oops, wow, it just changed into something else. So it's slippery, right? But here's how slippery it is. Let's say if I demonstrate like, the here's one version of the change. Here's a thing, and then it changes. It becomes something else. Now it's this, and then it changes. It becomes something else. And then that changes and becomes that, right? But here's really more what, it, what it's like, and just feel this right now in the moment, what you call the moment. And notice it's like it's just change. It's like this. It just keeps changing. <laughs> and there's not an it that's changing because that would suggest something stopped and became an it and then changed mm -hmm. and then became another it and then changed. But if it's just changed, do you see how there's no things? There's nothing. You might as well say there's nothing if it's just change. And that's what it is. It's just change. Pure flow. The river of reality doesn't stop and hold still long enough to determine what it is. Feel that. That's what we're feeling. That's its ungraspable nature. You know, it'd be like if you're watching a video, you know, and the video is moving, right? There it is. The, the, the movie's moving like that, however it's moving. And then we have, like in our devices, we can hit stop. <laughs> and then we can go, oh, there it is. And then we can talk about, like, what does it look like? We can describe it. But that's only because we have a stop button. But in reality, it has no stop button. It just keeps moving. <laughs> And it keeps moving. It's like, ah, I want to grasp hold of it and determine what it is and know it. And it's like, sorry, I'm unknowable. 
because I have no constancy. I have no duration. I'm just constantly, constantly change, changing. Because that was going to lead me to one of my questions today, which is, what? <laughs> Sorry, has that, has that been every no, segue? It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, because it's sort of like, let me, before you ask your question, just let me invite yeah. anyone who might be listening. Because I think in, in a certain way, this is just a, admonition is not the right word, a suggestion. And that mm-hmm. is really, when you hear something like that, First of all, take a look in your own experience and see if it if it if it holds any water, you know, any merit. Mm, and I think sorry. that it will. Yeah. I think you'll notice that wow, this has no stability, zero. There's no it to have stability because it's just utter un- instability. And feel that and then let the profound implications of that sink in. That, that you and I have grown up, as every other human has, it would seem, to believe that there are things that endure over time. And yet our actual experience is telling us the complete opposite, <laughs> that there are no things. <laughs> it's amazing isn't it <laughs> it's amazing because it, it completely flips the world upside down on its head everything that we thought is not true because we can only think about something that's here long enough to be thought about Right? So this is unthinkable. Because it's already gone the instant you try to think about it. <laughs> question still sits on yes. the tip of my tongue. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt your question. I just wanted to let oh, that Oh, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. For, I, for everyone I, who might be listening. Yeah. No, yeah. it was profound. And I think I learned something in there about listening even deeper in terms of holding space yeah. for the listening. So I apologize and I'm thank no, you for God, no, the course no, correction, no, no, John. Yeah, I really yeah, appreciate no, that. It's all good. Um, hey, you're Inspired Tribe. I want to take a quick sec. I wanted to share something today with you that is really dear to my heart. And it's actually what keeps the entire ecosystem around the Inspired Evolution thriving my one-on-one coaching. <laughs> So it's basically coaching that helps you live a spiritually aligned life. I coach people from all different types of walks of life that these people are leaders and they're looking to have an incredible spiritual impact in the lives that they're leading for themselves and then also lead in alignment to their values. Now you don't have to take my word for it. Here's a few people that have also transformed through my coaching and here's what they have to say. Amrit is a fantastic coach. In a few sessions, he got to a depth that I'd only experienced before working with certain medicines. And He's gone through a lot of the struggles that you're probably facing. Then my corporate banking job wasn't really doing it. You feel like you're not making progress towards your goals. And Amrit's been a really strong, supportive figure in my journey. I'm more 
gain control of myself. I'm kinder to myself. I actually have that vision and a purpose. I do feel like I'm a better version of myself already. Amazing energy. He was easy to talk to, which made me easy to trust him. Working with Emirate at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning and really I was bouncing out of bed. Whenever I get off the calls with Emirate, best money we've ever spent. <laughs> I would not recommend him because I don't want everyone to know about him and then I won't be able to book him. If he gets too busy, I won't get my turn. I would say absolutely. There's no way you can work with Amrit for a period of time without being transformed. So if you're considering him as a coach, do not hesitate because you won't be disappointed. As you guys can see, there's a lot of people all over the world from all these different corners experiencing incredible transformations. I don't think, if I can say humbly myself, that there is anything quite like this somewhere else online. Most people that you know have channels that you know grow and grow and grow don't really focus on one-to-one -one offerings. I have just found that it is the most profound space where you can bring yourself in a private container and really just share what's going on for yourself. And if you want to book in for that call with me, touch base, it's www amrit.coach forward slash life that's www.amrit.coach forward slash l-i-f-e there is a link in the show notes below to book in that call and yeah if you want to take your journey further if you want to dive in deeper and you really want to live a spiritually aligned life if it's for you please do check it out and without too much further ado once again for your spirit for yourself today's podcast yeah the question that you know continues to just yeah eat in here is um the purpose of all this thinking and all the <laughs> the purpose of the thinking and the thing and then like the nature of their conceptual reality then really starts to lose its foothold as well in your conceptual awareness it's like well why the part of my french why the f is this even why am I modulating moment to moment? Am I seeing things in this divided experience of like, oh, yep, camera here, John there, Amrit here. Like it starts to beg a lot of questions of the conceptual reality and thought and thinking and the thinker and the thinkers and <laughs> all the above. <laughs> yeah. um, starts to question its hmm. purpose. I mean... If you take a impersonal stance on all of it for a moment and ask the question, why is reality being the way that it is, which is generating, you know, creatures that have conceptual capacities to render seemingly what things are via thought and language. And I mean, how has that come about? Well, that is an absolute miracle in and of itself that such capacities exist for reality to seemingly think about itself and render itself conceptually and language that rendering in the ways that it does. And that's like its pastime. <laughs> it, it does that clearly. And, you know, I don't really know the mechanics of it, so to speak, but you know, what, from what I was describing about how there's no things because of this constant change, how is it that this then looks like things and is perceived as things and encountered as things? We could say the whole world of form. And 
maybe say maybe we would say well that's one of the functions of the conceptualizing thinking apparatus of life of consciousness is to do just that to create the sense of continuity that doesn't actually exist why so that it can enjoy the forms seeming the seeming forms i mean because if you were only experiencing the empty side of the coin then basically you wouldn't ha- there would be no experience because there, in one sense, there is no experience. Because there, there's nothing. But the the nothingness, the emptiness, dances as all the seeming forms that have kind of a coherence and enduring nature to them. And how does that come about? It's a magic show. But but it, it seems really that does feel like a magic show. Sorry, no, go ahead. No. I said it really does feel like a magic show. Sorry, please continue. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It, it, I mean, it's as good explanation as, as any, you know. It's like, how does something that has no enduring nature look like it has an enduring nature? I mean, again, if you look at the mechanics of it, think about this as a, like a supercomputer of the mind that ha- is having to overlook the way in which, so, so for example, every moment is if we even want to use the word moments that are constantly shifting, and I was just sort of re- refuting that a moment. But if let's talk about that provisionally, it's like the like every moment that I perceive what I call my living room right now is different. So in one sense, consciousness has to sort of overlook the differences to create the sense of continuity because if if it's completely different from what it was an instant ago i mean i can look at it now and it's like you can see like from moment to moment it's like it's it's always different there's something like like one little extra pixel in the field that you happen to notice of the room you know a one little one little color one little flash that maybe wasn't being seen the, the previous moment. You have to overlook that little thing that you saw to, to create the sense of continuity. You see what I mean? So we have the sense like, oh, it's more or less the same room from moment to moment. It's not. It's a totally different room. <laughs> it, when you perceive me, you're not perceiving the same John moment to moment. Every, it's completely different in every moment. But what consciousness does, it would seem, is it overlooks the differences in order to string together this sense of continuity, right? We do a similar thing actually with categorizing. I have a chapter in my last book about categories. And so if I put, okay, so you, you mentioned, you know, when we were chatting beforehand, you know, you, you come, we were born in India or your parents were born in India. Parents, um, yeah. Parents, your parents were, okay. So so let's say, uh, you know, demographically speaking, I put you in the category of Indian, right? Um, East Indian. I don't know. The, I don't know the correct term, but let's just say Indian. Okay. So, all right. Now, and I might meet somebody else, like um, I, have a, I have a friend I know, and he, I would get put him in the same category, let's say. Okay. Now, what does that mean? Well, what allows me to put you in a category? You same, you, you, the two of you share certain characteristics that could be a combination of physical appearances, um, skin color, uh, 
country of origin. But actually, you may share those characteristics enough that I can group you together in this category and that I can call you Indian. But I haven't said anything really in one sense about who you are because I, I say in that chapter, I said everything belongs in a category that contains only one member, and that is the thing itself. Because there's nobody like Amrit. There's nobody that looks exactly like you. There's nobody that perceives the world exactly like you do, that has the exact same set of likes and dislikes and loves and passions and inclinations. And I could go on and on and on and on. So when we group things, phenomena into categories, which we do all the time to speak about things, oh, there's a tree. It's like, that's not a tree that I'm looking at. It's dark, so I can't really see the tree outside my window, the one that's closest to my window. But if I could, I go, well, there's a tree. I just put it in a category. But there's nothing else that looks like that. Why well, I say, well, no, no, no. There's these other things that go into the category of trees that have some of the same things. They have leaves and branches, you know. But no, they're, they're, uh, do you see what I mean? They're utterly, and this is what we do, is, is the, the power of language and concepts is basically oversimplifies the complexity. And it makes it manageable in one sense. So I can talk about trees and, you know, but, but every single phenomena is utterly unique, which would make language diff difficult because there's an infinite number of phenomena. So it's like every infinite phenomena is going to have its own name. You know, that's, you know, it's like, it would be very difficult, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's the oversimplification that, is useful categories that I say they're useful fictions, but they're fictions. Take politics, like here in the US, you know, we have Democrats and Republicans, the broad categories, political categories. Every Democrat is different and unique, even if they share some beliefs, seemingly. But this is about what really my work is about is getting very precise with what's actually here rather than what I think is here. Because <laughs> what I think is here is all these categories. And what's actually here is doesn't fit into a category because it's uniquely itself. It's that. <laughs> I'm not looking at a computer. I'm looking at that. Whatever that is, but it's not a computer. It's that. <laughs> crazy wow it's infinite <laughs> it's it is. bottomless it's so trippy it's absolutely incredible it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just it's 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 uh and this is what we're swimming in this is what we it's, are we're this I we are this do. infinity we are this infinity there's a there's a odd again words John, you do this to me. Uh, I'm a good interviewer. <laughs> Touch wood. I promise. <laughs> My mum said, no, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> There's a, but there yeah. is like an, there is like an inviting nature to it. There um, is. It's very inviting. Which, it's yeah. It's which, which then, yeah, I don't want to conflate anything, but 
resonates as truth. Yeah. Um, but, and that's know, all I can really attempt to say about it. I mean, our conceptual frameworks, one of the, when I was talking about the oversimplification, how it works through, you know, it's kind of like you listen to someone, let's say someone wanted to summarize what our conversation has been about, you know, put it in a few words to create a kind of a, basically give a general idea of what we've been talking about. Well, they could do that. They could sum it up in a few sentences or maybe a couple paragraphs, and that would be a synopsis of what we talked about. But it would be an over, it would take all the complexity and detail and kind of oversimplify it, right? And useful, potentially, if you want to try to put it in a nutshell, you know, kind of. Um, <laughs> but again, that's what we do. That's what language does is it takes the infinity and collapses it down into something, let's say, more manageable and describable. And we can talk about it and think about it. And which is, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just, it's just coming to appreciate that there is this kind of fun language functions in a way of kind of dumbing things down, literally. Now, one of the consequences of that, I think, for humans is often is that we're taking the infinite magnificence and making it seem small and limited and less than and insufficient, right? I mean, even the notion of like, wow, the moment's lacking. Really? Lacking? <laughs> this is infinity. The moment is infinity. How is it lacking? It is the infinity that is inclusive of everything. It's not lacking <laughs> anything. There's no lack. There's no lack. But... The conceiving apparatus can interpret lack, can define the moment as, oh, my same old, terrible, boring life. You know, it's like same old, same old, we say, right? It's like, really? It's this explosion of vitality and aliveness and consciousness and sensuality and in every instant, never repeating itself. I mean, that's what's actually going on. At least ultimately what's actually going on can't be said, but as we get closer to the bone of what's actually here, sort of away from the oversimplified conceptual versions of it, we start to discover the vastness of it, the richness of it, the treasure of it, the beauty of it, the profoundness of it, the miracle of it. Well, for those that wish to explore the experience, mm -hmm. um, yeah, your invitation for how we approach such, and again, I'm using words like work, um, mm -hmm. but I'm sure there's better terminology. Yeah. How do we, your invitations, obviously I'll put a link to your books in the show notes below for people to be able to access them and download them. Access to some of my favorite meditations on the Waking Up app as well. I'll put a link to them. Oh, nice! Um, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't and, know you'd uh, check out some of my stuff there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is there anything? Uh, well, any invitations from your end in terms of how to? I mean, in terms of like um, you know exploring my work, uh, you know, the, my website's a really good resource because everything you know there's sort of links to everything there, including the including books i've written a lot of music over the years that are kind of 
taking all of what we've been talking about and try to put it into musical form in the way of song. And I've been doing that for many years. And then many, many interviews I've done. Um, I have a, a YouTube channel that there's a link to that has 150 plus videos of me speaking about these things and the way we're talking and, um, and uh, lots of meditations on there as well. Um, and I, I host weekly meetings uh, over Zoom that's just open to the public. I have people from all over the world participating in those every Sunday. There's information about those on the website. Um, I've been doing something fun recently. I'm doing now the second uh, book group around my last book where we've been. I've taken a group of, I think, around 30 people. Um, and we're just doing a deep dive into the book, kind of exploring its content and meaning and in our lives. And that's been re- very, very rich. And, uh, you know, other things I'm doing, whether it's retreats that I'm leading or whatever, that's all there on, on the website. If people want to check it out. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good resource to, to find out. Like if, you, if you're at all curious to, you know, explore things in the way that, that you and I have been sort of talking about in our conversation. Um, yeah. I'll put a link to that in the show notes below. I do feel like today's conversation is, well, in some ways it's, well, in every way it's infinite. And also in some ways it felt like we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. I have to it's a total pleasure yeah. to talk with you, Amrit. I'm, I'm so happy that uh, you invited the conversation. It's been lovely. Oh, my God. It's been my absolute, yeah, absolute pleasure to be here and participate in the conversation. But then also, yeah, it's been more than a conversation. It, it's felt like a transmission, if I can say so myself. Well, conversations like this where we're sort of using language to direct our attention and anyone who might be listening sort of back to the realm of experiencing itself, which is of course the basis of everything because all the elaborations are about experience. So we're really kind of saying, well, let's go back to what we're elaborating about presumably and check it out because we'll find out some interesting things about its nature that many of the elaborations sort of would suggest something very, very different. (laughs) Um, then, then I would say what seems to be going on, which is, is ultimately, again, indeterminate. Which, But that's, as they say, the, as it says somewhere in the Bible, you know, the truth that sets sets us free, you know, the truth will set us free. And that's certainly been my sense of like seeing the truth of this dynamism that has no stopping point. That's just in this constant unfolding sort of ungraspable flow is its own profound freedom. Freedom from, as Krishnamurti said, freedom from the known. Freedom Mm. from the known. There's a real gift in the way that you do... I want to say wield the words... (laughs) Such that we don't end up left looking at the finger, but do actually spend some time <laughs> glancing at the moon. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't really know how else to articulate it. Thank you so much for today's, uh, yeah, again, transmission. I'm calling it a transmission. I really appreciate it, John, and for your time, your energy, um, being here with us. And yeah, just extremely grateful. Links to all everything you described, including some of my favorite meditations, including your YouTube channel, including your website, will be in the show notes below. Um, and yeah, I'll continue to keep us all posted and informed. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, Please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.